Welcome back to Skipping Lunch Lines. Today on the podcast, we are discussing ways that parents can help guide their teens to be the entrepreneurs of their life, even if they don't pursue the path of entrepreneurship as a career. So stay tuned. You ever find yourself asking, why isn't this taught in school? My entrepreneurial and parenthood journeys really highlighted the gap between what the world needs and what our schools are actually teaching, and how woefully unprepared most people are to achieve their greatest dreams. The people truly winning in a postmodern economy have a different set of skills that aren't taught in school and are privy to information not taught to the masses. With that in mind, we invite you on our journey to glean from the world's most successful leaders and icons of industry, the real skills the next generation needs moving forward. We are on a mission to help teens skip the lunch line for the front line of a movement, empowered with the knowledge and skills needed to thrive in a fast-paced, dynamic, ever-changing world. This is Skippy Lunch Lines. We're glad you're here. Today on the show, we have Craig Chavez Jr. Craig is an author of an exciting new book, Burdens of a Dream. Craig is on a mission to help 1 million people to become the entrepreneur of their lives. Craig is an accomplished young man with a heart of service, a Division I collegiate athlete, University of Tampa, MBA graduate, and Peace Corps volunteer. Craig has parlayed the breadth of his experience into a life of entrepreneurship where he's launched multiple businesses spread over four continents, including a craft distillery in Latin America. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, So I'd like to start off by asking you this one big question. Given the fact that information is so readily available, why do you think people still struggle with building wealth today? Because with the readily available information out there, there's also readily available misinformation and disinformation. Yeah. And so the thing about information is that one of the problems I think is people have a lack of discernment. And so when they turn on the TV or when they access their technology, you know, the, the easiest thing is just to perform a, a Google search. And whatever you find or whatever's at the top of the list, people tend to gravitate to. But um, the, the problem with mis and disinformation is that they unintentionally or intentionally lead you to a negative outcome. Misinformation is presentation. So like until you kind of develop that level of discernment, you're going to kind of confuse pure information, misinformation, and disinformation all as one the same when they're all not. And so through that, that leads to people kind of maintaining the status quo and not really advancing because the information sources that they have access to are oftentimes corrupted. Right. So that gets me thinking that it is so important to have literacy conversations at home. Mm-hmm. We all know that it's not really taught at school, right? Um, but the conversations don't really happen at home. And for me, that's problematic because like you said, there's so much misinformation, disinformation, and just people don't really pursue that information outside partly because they don't know where to really look for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think it's so critical to have money conversations at home. Uh, growing up, like my, my father, he came from more of a corporate background and he was considered like the breadwinner. Well, my mother, she also worked full time too as like an occupational therapist, mm-hmm. but she also sacrificed a lot of her career you know, to, to, help, to help raise us. Right. But like the issue is money only really came up when money was tight. Yeah. And money was tight a lot and it's more of like the the money management background whereas like my mother doesn't necessarily have those skills 
And, you know, when money would come up, it would always be about, oh, we're, we're running low or we don't have enough. It was never really money in a positive sense of how to grow it. Of, you know, wealth wasn't even really defined. And just unfortunately, growing up in, you know, the certain African-American communities, that, that conversation is never brought up. And it wasn't until like high school and, and college where I was exposed to people who came from wealthy backgrounds. I mean, I just remember hearing the word trust for the first time <laughs> and just, you know, just hearing about kids like, oh, yeah, you know, I have, you know, a multi-million dollar trust in my name and, uh, you know, people talking about estates and all these other conversations that were just foreign to me. But no, right. just to kind of wrap up, no, money was never talked about in my house. And when it does, it was, it was talked about poorly. Right. And so I think, uh, you know, at least for myself, that was the same background that I had. It was never discussed. And so I formed money beliefs that were based in lack of knowledge. So they mm -hmm. were not true. And so when you start finding people who are successful, and for me, my journey has been like really difficult being a single mom mm -hmm. and trying to figure out why I sacrifice everything, why I do everything the experts tell you to do. And yeah, I cannot get ahead. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way because other people who've been through worse circumstances are able to pull themselves up. For and sure. so for me, it has been that journey and having a child and being really responsible for him and, and having to come to the realization that, you know what? I'm not really doing my job as a parent properly mm -hmm. if I'm not educating him. Um, and obviously, you cannot teach what you don't know. Mm -hmm. So I went out and I tried to learn this stuff for myself right. by looking at other role models, people who've either been in the same situation that I've been and have pulled themselves out or people who have the life that I want mm -hmm. and trying to figure out like, okay, what are they doing that I'm not doing? What do they know that I don't know? Exactly. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with positioning yourself for success. And like, I remember you know, growing up, I'd often go to like neighborhoods where wealthy people lived, or yeah. I would go to certain cafes in certain parts of town, just to kind of expose myself to the, those conversations. And like you said, you can't be what you, what you can't see. And it's only when you know better that, that you do better. And um, that strategic positioning to be around money and just to understand that like you don't have to exchange your time for money anymore like once yeah. i figured out that like your money should be working for you it was that kind of that, that paradigm shift in perception that really triggered my financial literary journey one thing that's really important in this day and age of like social media is that kids see a quick win you know they just mm -hmm. see the out somebody's ending and not their beginning, yes. or sometimes they see somebody's ending when they're a trust fund baby, and, or you know what I mean, or they have yeah. a family that has all the resources, and it's like it creates a false um, dream for a mm -hmm. lot of kids, and they just say, oh, I can post on social, and I can have X, Y, and Z, and maybe that can be the reality for a few people, mm -hmm. but it's a luck very lucky few, and for most people, they have to be more strategic, oh, and they completely. have to have a plan to get to whatever it is the the bugatti or the lamborghini or you know the 10 houses and all the kind of stuff that people have and so that's why i think entrepreneurship really you know that coupled with the fact that times are changing like the way mm -hmm. like the job market uh just like different you know revolutions come up like agricultural revolution came up the nature of work changed industrial mm -hmm. revolution came up the nature of work changed and right. so i feel like we're in a new shift again completely and so if you're not taught to have these entrepreneurial tendencies, mm 
you might be behind. So I would like to know like how you feel about that. Do you think that that's a relevant argument right now? Oh, a thousand percent. Like you couldn't be more correct with that, but I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit. And when you're mentioning that entrepreneurial mindset, and so for me, what's allowed me to be successful as an entrepreneur is my just intellectual curiosity. Um, I always tell people I've had the same six best friends from birth mm-hmm. and their names are who, what, when, where, why, and how. And they're just, they're just questions. And just like when you're mentioning about like how people get to a certain level of wealth, I mean, you have to peel back the layers and keep asking those questions. And when you keep asking those questions, then you'll get to the truth. Then you'll get to that pure information and you'll cut through a lot of that misinformation and disinformation. And so tying that forward, asking all those same six questions about like the, the, the status quo of when it comes to work, and what you're seeing right now with the coronavirus, I mean, like you just have to see those certain signs. Um, I think the fifth chapter in my book is entitled Pattern Recognition. Mm-hmm. And it just talks about you know, having that just open mindset and trusting your gut to really understand that like stuff is changing. I mean, it's a cliche. The only constant in life is change. And right. with this ever-present technology, this artificial intelligence, um, this potential uh, impending market correction, people are really going to have to get used to understanding that like this typical nine to five with a pension and sound retirement, like that is dead. And right. so if you're not able to think on your toes and think for self and be multifaceted and be versatile and have some type of side hustle, preferably a business that you own, you're going to be left behind. And so I, I agree with you a million percent that like having this entrepreneurial mindset and being able to strategically plan for the future, for the future, be able to learn from the past, all while taking massive action in the present is going to be some skills that you're going to need to be able to be successful. Right. So I totally agree with that. Um, and I'm kind of the cautionary tale. Like, you know, the name of your book is Burdens of a Dream. Mm-hmm. And that title really resonates with me because I'm 47 mm-hmm. and you know, I, to a lot of people who are around me, it's like, who are you right now to decide that you're going to be, try to be an entrepreneur. You know, like you're Dara that works at the cheesecake factory. You're, you know, like I have these roles that I play mm. and, and they, they, my new role that I'm trying to create for myself doesn't fit in the vision that people have of me. And yes. you know what? And it's like, you know what? I have had a dream my whole life. And, the, you know, and for one reason or another, you know, life happened and all those dreams were not fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But that burden of the dream mm-hmm. lingers. Yes. And it leads to regret. Yes. And that half my son likes to tell me, he's like, Mom, half of your life is over. What are you going to do with the rest of it? Which partly <laughs> I get annoyed. But partly I'm like, you know what? He is absolutely right. Half of my life yes. is over. Are my, you know, am I on the path to fulfill my dreams? And yes. when I get to my deathbed, am I going to be satisfied? And the answer is no. So, right. you know, despite not being raised entrepreneurial, despite all those things, I'm like, you know what? I have to get uncomfortable. I have to do it. Yes. For myself. But then also the, there's a part of it for me is that whole idea of responsibility for my son. Mm-hmm. And am I preparing him to be to move into the future in his bo- best possible way? Like he may not ever want to be a business owner. 
Right. Well, he might he might decide that he wants to be an employee for the rest of his life. But Which I would okay. like him to have those skills because right. those skills are so transferable um, to anything that you want to do. Definitely. And if I can interject, I mean, there's there's so many things I want to hit on with that. But the the main mentality behind the book that I wrote is not necessarily becoming like an entrepreneur of things right. or of a business, but it's about becoming the entrepreneur of your life oh, I love and that. living with intention and purpose. And as you said, that like there are some people who are not meant to be business owners, which is perfect. There's some people that are meant to, you know, be chefs in a restaurant, to be teachers, to be somebody who sits at a desk and crunches numbers. But that's perfectly fine as long as that you know that that is what you want to do at this current point in time. Like it's, I think that's fine. Everybody has a role. But um, I'm, I'm going into my book right now because chapter two is entitled Decisions, Decisions, Decisions. <laughs> and I preface each, cha each chapter with a quote. And this specific quote from Jim Rome, I think you'll love it. And it says, if you don't design your own life plan, chances are you'll fall into someone else's plan. And guess what they have planned for you? Not much. Yep. And it's so key because at the end of the day, um, life is an amalgamation of our life decisions. Mm -hmm. you know, each of these decisions has a pro and a con. But if you can intentionally and strategically plan for those decisions, it's really more so investing in your life than gambling with it. Like right. when, I, when I go into a business decision or a life decision, I weigh the pros and the cons. I know how much I can gain and how much I can lose. And once I know that I'm okay with potentially losing something, and I have some type of contingency plan for that, it's okay because not everything's going to work out in our favor. But as long as I see those decisions as a, a lesson to be learned from, it's okay. And I really commend you for making that decision to take back control of your life because so many people are just walking around here aimlessly and lifeless and, you know, they're quote unquote the living dead. Right. And um, regret is a pill that, you know, most people can't swallow, even though they try to and they put on this facade that they can't. Yeah. I mean, that really was my story. Um, and that's the reason why I want to start this podcast and really the movement I'm looking to form is all about empowering people to find their vision mm -hmm. and using that vision to then impact the world, build wealth community and how all those three things come together right to, to live a happy life and then you know when you get to your deathbed and mm. you live with intentionality you've impacted your world you've built relationships with people who are like-minded and have the same vision and goals and then you've you know and that's how you've created your wealth which you've then used to have the kind of life you want to live but mm. then also use that wealth that you've built to impact society I just feel like it's, you know, that's the blueprint right. to happiness is to kind of walk um, your life path with those three things in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's about value creation because, like, I, too, started off with a very myopic mindset. I mean, initially, I got into business for self because, you know, I, I came from a scarcity mindset. I didn't come from a lot of money. And so like it was all money, 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 or emotional impulses or doing the cool thing at this moment in time. 
But, um, you know, last year having a paradigm shift, having to come back home to help out family and, and learning to see that, like, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. And by, like, creating value for other people, that's what's going to help me to build wealth. Like, it's a win-win situation. Like, I, I don't see it as, like, a one-way street. Like, you, you can be a conscious capitalist. Like, I definitely do think that we should be in business to make money. But we should also be conscious that this business that of what we're doing should also be adding value to people and not extracting value and manipulating people to control them or to get some type of gain while they have a loss. Right. So uh, I agree. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your past. Um, I know you were in the Peace Corps, so I'd like to explore mm-hmm. what exactly your role was in the Peace Corps and then also how that experience has marked your journey moving forward with entrepreneurship oh wow so just to give you a little little context so before joining the peace corps i had obtained my my master's in business degree from the university of tampa which was a great experience Mm -hmm. but like i already knew going into that higher education that i didn't necessarily want to enter the corporate world but I, I still explored it. So, you know, as I was finishing my degree, I was interviewing in New York and, and San Francisco at some major companies. But I soon figured out that there was a big glass ceiling at, within those organizations and that I was going to be used and not really compensated for, like, the talents that I brought. And furthermore, a lot of these settings weren't that diverse. I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like if I'm going to be low paid in a very high stress environment, is that where I really want to be at? And so fortunately, I, I had ran into a Peace Corps recruiter who understood a little bit about my entrepreneurial background. I was already fluent in Spanish. I had lived abroad multiple times uh, in Spain and Costa Rica doing work in my undergraduate studies. And to me, the Peace Corps was just like the ideal perfect fit. So I applied and got an offer to be an economic, a community economic development facilitator in, in Peru. Uh, and, and the Peace Corps is a 27 month commitment. It's a very tough, uh, arduous application. If, if 10 people apply, only two will get in. And mm-hmm. of those two, only one may actually finish their service. So um, I got sent to Peru. Uh, I wanted to trailblaze. I wanted to serve in a community that never had another volunteer before. And like this experience was, I mean, I could literally write a, a book about just the Peace Corps. And I tried to do the best with my current memoir, Burns of a Dream. But the Peace Corps, they say it's the toughest job you'll ever love. And it sounds so corny. It sounds so cliche. But it is probably the most life-changing and transformational experience one could have. I mean, because you're completely stripped of any type of comfort there. I mean, your, your highs are, like, extremely high, but mm-hmm. then, like, your lows are extremely low. And the best way I can describe it is just imagine having, like, a mirror duct tape in front of your face for 27 months that you can't remove. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the experience or experiences are very magnified and amplified 
but I, I really enjoyed what I did. I mean, I, I was basically a high-level business consultant, but I specialized in youth entrepreneurship. So I worked a lot in the schools and universities, taught students how to write business plans, helped several students open up businesses through business competitions. Um, I helped to do a lot of import-exporting and fair trade certification with a lot of the major uh, farming associations in my community. Um, I also helped to co-found some diversity initiatives for, for Peace Corps um, employees and staff. Uh, I helped to introduce new entrepreneur and business curriculum to my uh, economic development program. And I was kind of just a jack of all trades. And uh, just living and working with people from a different world mm -hmm. um, was just awesome. I mean, I, I could go on and on. So <laughs> I, I know you have different probing questions, but that would probably help to trigger certain responses. But um, like I said, it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, well, and you know, I can see your face lighting up when you talk about, about that uh, experience. And, you know, it really, it sounds like, makes you search deep in your soul was really important to you. Oh, completely. And Come. I just feel like that's the type of experience that for like me as a parent, like I want my son to have that experience because it seems like it's life-changing. Um, oh, completely. So would <laughs> so you much. say that, that going into the Peace Corps is a great step for maybe somebody to take who maybe wants to get into business eventually? Oh, completely, completely, because you're literally the entrepreneur of your life in the Peace Corps. I mean, as much as they try to train you for what you're going to experience, uh, you, you, you literally have to create your own schedule. Like, they, there's no oversight. I mean, each country, each program is different, but literally, I had to go into a brand new community, you know, lay out the frameworks. I had to create my own pro uh, partnerships. I had to create my own projects. I had to run my own schedule. Um, very little oversight from like my my managing director and program director, and you you literally have to create something out of nothing. Like you become an alchemist. I mean, you're creating gold out of, out of lead, and uh, it, it really teaches you to think on your toes because you have to think in another language. You have to uh, adapt to a whole new culture, like a whole new way of life. Like there's nothing that you can compare in America to what you're going to experience. Uh, in the Peace Corps. And with that full and total immersion, like you just have to develop the entrepreneurial mindset to be successful in your role. So I think the Peace Corps is uh, unequivocally uh, a fantastic decision for somebody who wants to get into business or entrepreneurship. But um, the last thing I'll say is that in the Peace Corps, you have so much time. Like there's so much free time to do what you need to do. And you'll never get this amount of time think for yourself and by yourself and some people use the time for great for great reasons like I use the downtime in the Peace Corps to build a business on the side and some people just kind of sit in their room and just read books all day and kind of just melt away but when you have that time to really think without distractions um, you can definitely use it to your advantage okay so what are some tips for parents of young, of, of obviously if their parents are going to be of young kids uh, or even teenagers, of what they can do every day to develop, to start to develop the entrepreneur type of mindset? Well, I think one of the things that my parents did 
unknowingly was that they restricted me from from tv like i like i hate dating myself like i don't see myself <laughs> as old being a 30 like a 30 year old but i've, I've I had a really interesting upbringing because i feel like my generation uh the millennials the older millennials like we're kind of like the cross between old school and new school like mm -hmm. i remember when there was no internet like i didn't get a cell phone until i was like 16 years old like it was right at the be beginning of the tech boom that i entered into high school and college so i kind of got to grow up without those distractions but at an early age even though i did grow up with a with a severe speech impediment i mean i stuttered all the way till i was 13 uh was dyslexic dyslexic uh was on hooked on phonics and through the sixth grade um but my mother always gave me puzzles she gave me like legos she gave me connects and so i was constantly being creative uh, when I was young, she got me enrolled in uh, sports activities. You know, I was in the Boy Scouts. And so I just learned to be very social, to be very hands-on, learned a lot about sales through like selling Boy Scout popcorn. Mm -hmm. But all those little activities and those toys and stuff that my parents got me fostered a lot of my creativity at a, at a young age. So I think you know, fostering your, your child's creativity, you know, keeping them away from technology are great ways to kind of help them to develop that entrepreneurial mindset. Right. And so I think the technology part is really huge. Um, mm -hmm. Having a teenager who, quite frankly, is on his phone way too much <laughs> and trying to get him away from that, you know, right. it are things like starting this podcast and mm -hmm. these types of things. Um, he's in the band, so he does mm -hmm. that. Awesome. But what are some things that a parent can do if they have maybe a teenager mm -hmm. who is really addicted to the technology, what do you think are some things that they can do to inspire them to want to go out and, and uh, build more face-to-face -face relationships? Well, I've seen uh, a lot of parents, I mean, some of my you know, cousins or you know, friends who, who have kids, like they've kind of leveraged technology to, to help their uh, kids become better business men and, and women. So like they'll, they'll get like uh, certain games, like there's a really cool game out there called Cashflow from uh, Robert Kiyosaki and it, like it teaches you kind of understand like the fundamentals of uh, real estate investments and, and cash flow and how to, how to manage your money. Mm -hmm. And so with like technology, like it's, it's basically a tool. And so if you can leverage that tool in, in a way to kind of direct your, your kids into thinking more business-like or kind of use technology as like a reward for, you know, doing some type of business-related thing, mm -hmm. I, I think that could be of, of advice. I mean, it's, it's, it is difficult for me to answer that because I don't have kids mm -hmm. and then I haven't been exposed to how technology really affects kids. Like I do see them on the on the computers and the laptops and cell phones all the time. But I, I figure if you can use that technology as like a conduit to get them pointed in the right direction to do what you want them to do, uh, I think that's kind of like my, my best uh, advice for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right because they're going to be on their technology. Unfortunately, that's just the way of the world nowadays. But if can't we escape can, it, yeah. If we can channel that time on technology to do more productive things like creating things creating businesses um reaching out to you know instead of just texting with all your random friends <laughs> maybe build relationships with like-minded people mm -hmm. is maybe a one way to go Oh, completely. Because like without technology, I wouldn't be able to do what, what I do. 
I mean, creating an online curriculum or just reaching out to people, having these digital online mentors. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And then like, I'm seeing like some kids, I mean, like they're multimillionaires through YouTube, you know, from unboxing products. I mean, I think a lot of parents have kind of leveraged technology to you know, help their kids become financially independent before you know, they can even vote. And so that's kind of one of the cool things about technology is that like kids are now able to start businesses, you know, without high overhead and become, you know, actually some type of thought authority in like the areas that they're doing. I mean, I, I couldn't do that when, when I was growing up. And so I think that's one of like the, the, the pros of technology is how you can leverage it to build a business like for your kid and like with your and with your kid. Right. But then on the downside, like you said, I mean, it, it can be used for nefarious means as well. Right. And so, I mean, that's what I'm trying to do with my son in this podcast, mm-hmm. um, giving him his uh, a voice, right. letting him take on as much as he wants to right now. Um, yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think that's super, super awesome. I mean, it reminds me of like, even though I didn't see my father a lot growing up because he was constantly working all the time, mm-hmm. when we did interact, you know, he, he's such like a technological genius. I mean, the yeah. guy wired our house, you know, put in all the uh, electrical equipment. I mean, he, he, he built part of the house himself. Like he's, he has so many skills that I wish that I had. But when we did uh, spend time together, he would always teach me something valuable. And I think you're doing the same thing with your, with your son. I think that's awesome. I want to talk about crafting a personal vision. I think when it comes to starting a business, a lot of people appreciate the need for crafting a vision for the company and for a nonprofit. But why is it also important to craft a personal vision for yourself and for your family? Oh, without a vision, you will be walking aimlessly through life without without a direction. Like your, your vision is, it's your north star. It, it, it's your compass. Like it, it points you uh, where you need to go. And so it also like allows you to be focused because you know, I always say that boundaries are what sets you free. Mm-hmm. And when you have a vision, like that is like your boundary to keep you from staying, you know, from from wandering off off course. And so yeah, without that, like you're, you're just wasting time. Right. Okay. So when it comes to the boundaries, you mentioned boundaries. Do you feel that people tend to not have really strong boundaries around their time? Oh, for sure. I, I think most people let time management manage them. They don't, they don't manage their time. I mean, uh, gr- growing up in uh, one of the areas that I, that I grew up in, I, I, I ran across people who, you know, kind of went, went, went through the prison system. And they always said that, like, don't let the time do you. You have to do your time. Mm-hmm. And that may not be, like, the most positive representation of this example. But if you don't carpe diem and seize the day and seize the moment, you, you, you're wasting time because, you know, time is gold and, and money is silver. And like you have to be able to maximize the use of your time. And part of doing that is not just managing your time, but also learning how to manage your, your energy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like how I operate is like I have a very regimented day and it, and it sounds very uh, res- restrictive, but by knowing what I have to do, when I have to do it, how I have to do it, and why I have to do it, it allows me to be that much more productive. And so by having those boundaries, it actually increases the effectiveness and efficiency of of your use of time. Okay. And then do you feel like 
as an athlete growing up that that really helped develop your time management skills? Oh, 100%. I mean, when you have to get up at 4 a.m. every day and quickly eat a breakfast and then run down to the locker room so that you can prepare for 5 a.m. mat drills, that really helps to develop like your sense of time management. I mean, as, as an athlete, and especially an athlete at a small school with high academic standards, I didn't have the luxury of kind of just like skipping my classes away because, you know, our student size classroom was like 20, 20 people. So, you know, I had to have a very disciplined and regimented schedule that allowed me to manage my athletic obligations along with my academic uh, obligations. You know, and, and through that repetitive nature for over, you know, a, a decade, it's just kind of baked into like my personal ethos where I still get up around 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I do work out and then I also eat a breakfast and then I get right into work. So that's definitely prepared and trained me for you know, my, my future work and life habits. Well, that's just what I was going to say is that it sounds like you built a life of being habitual about the things that were important. And I feel like a lot of people, they just go by the seat of their pants and they, <laughs> you know, then the habits that they develop are not supporting their vision Completely. that they have for themselves if they've even crafted a vision, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some things that it's important for somebody to consider when they're, when they're thinking about their personal vision and uh, pursuing that and making sure that they're able to reach those goals and dreams for themselves. I think it's kind of thinking counterintuitively about your vision is which helps you to create the, the most optimal vision. I mean, I'm sure like with, with your son and when I was young, people always ask you like, Craig, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think that's one of like the worst questions to ask because you can't really define your, your, your final answer. And so what I've learned is kind of to think the opposite way. So I, I started asking myself, where did I not want to be? What did I not want to do? How did I not want to spend my time? And so but that also leads into the boundaries. So by asking those right questions, I was able to eliminate things that didn't suit me. It's just like, okay, I didn't want to be sitting in a cubicle all day. I didn't want to be taking orders from somebody who I didn't respect or who I thought was incompetent. I didn't want to have to you know, do this traditional nine to five thing. And so when I was able to cross out certain um, ideas or, or concepts, it kind of naturally led me to this entrepreneurial uh, mindset and this entrepreneurial way of living. And so by doing that, I think that uh, by that process of elimination and asking yourself where you don't want to be or where you don't want to go or how do I not want to live, it, it points you more into that right direction of, of finding that North Star, that ideal vision for your life. Right. And I totally 100% agree with that. And that's one thing that I do with my son um, is not just casting what you want your life to look like, but also what your life you want your life to not look like, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to like the friends that he has. And, and I think when you start at a young age to start having those discussions about, okay, well, what is it that you want? Like, what don't you want? Right. You know, like if you want this life, is this decision that you made aligned with what you really want? And at first they start rolling their eyes. They're annoyed. <laughs> they're like, get off my case. Yeah. But eventually over time, I found that every once in a while, he'll drop a little hint that he got the message. Right. He had, like, for example, my son had a, a friendship with this girl. 
And she decided to take her life in a completely different direction. Um, and they had been friends for years. And so he decided on his own that this was not a friendship that was going to serve him anymore. Mm-hmm. And he, did, he didn't consult me on it or anything. And I was just, I started questioning him like, okay, so why are you not friends anymore? Right. And he's like, well, you know, he, she's just not right for my life anymore. And I oh. was like, well, you know, trying to probe as a parent, you want to make sure that your kids are making smart decisions. You know, it has to be their decision because you just telling them what to do is really not effective at all. Right. But, you know, you kind of get ask those probing questions to see where their mm-hmm. mindset is at and then yeah. you guide them. But it turns out his mindset was right in the right place. And he's like, mm-hmm. mom, you know, like she, she's not living her life the way that I see is health, healthy. And I don't need to have friends like that. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He got that message. Even though <laughs> all throughout the, you know, the past couple of years, just, you know, he rolls his eyes. He gets annoyed. Like I'm trying to impede on his, you know, his decision making. Mm-hmm. But those messages really do seep in if you just keep keep plugging away at them. So. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you know, when you it's not I think reverse psychology is kind of maybe a, a negative way to put it, but it's it's framing people with them understanding the opportunity cost of their decisions. Mm-hmm. It's like, OK, so what are you giving up or what are you losing out on when you make the certain decision? And when people are able to understand that in a more holistic and complete sense that if I do this, then this is what I'm giving up. Mm-hmm. It, it, it creates a deeper understanding of, of why or why not they should make a certain decision. And right. uh, it's, it's, it's good that like you're, you're planting that, that seed and that, that way of thinking in your son at a young age, because that's, that's something that I didn't learn until I started to make decisions that were poor. And only by suffering a consequence was I able to realize that I shouldn't have made that decision. But if I would have known the cost of doing that, that would have helped me to think in a different way. Right. And I think, you know, part of it is you have to go through your own trials and tribulations and you have to trip over yourself yes. in order to get to like, there, there's just no escaping it really. But if <laughs> nope. we can guide our kids, you know, like if you can be honest and open with your children mm-hmm. and keep a conversation open with them, it's hard, but right. it's so important because at the right time when they need you, they'll turn to you. Right. Um, and that's what I found by, you know, sometimes it's hard to just not be like, well, I'm the boss, and this is what I'm saying, and this is the way it's going to go. Um, and you know, taking the time to explain them why, and you know, explain to them about opportunity costs and the fact that you know the choices that you make are also, you know, there's also the opposite, the choices that you didn't make, and and why both of those are important, and what you're giving up in the process, um, and if that is worth it to you, um, are are important conversations to have with your kids. Definitely, and then going back to the book, chapter thirty-one is entitled <laughs> "Fail." And uh, fail is an acronym that just means no first attempt in learning. And so it's it's not really a mistake in in my mind until you keep, you know, doing this, making the same poor decisions over and over and over again, because that's what insanity, you know, expecting different results from doing the same thing. But if you were to make a poor decision and you were to suffer a, a negative consequence, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you can learn from that and make sure you don't repeat it. So, but that's life. And like I said, a life is an amalgamation of our life decisions and experiences. And, you know, when you, when you, you do better, when you know better, and you only know by actually applying the information that you learned, and that is wisdom. And that's why I included the subtitle, 33 Actionable Nuggets of Wisdom, 
for the creative entrepreneur because this is applied knowledge that people can learn from and they don't necessarily have to experience the negatives that I experienced because they can see how to make a better decision. Right. What do they say? Like, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants is the best way to get to your destination. You know, like you're basically like learning, learn from my experiences, my X number of years of not hitting my dreams, learn from what I've gone through so that you can get there quicker and faster. And, you know, hopefully, with less bruises along the way. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. That's why, you know, having quote unquote mentors or, or people to learn from, whether they be like in person or digital, definitely helps to expedite y- your learning because why waste time reinventing the wheel when you can just replicate somebody else's journey or different aspects, aspects of their journey to help propel mm-hmm. you forward quicker? So that's just a, a brilliant strategy to use. Right. And you're talking about your book and it seems to me like it's the kind of book, and you know, it has entrepreneur in the title, but to me, it seems like it's a a guide to life that really should be for everybody. Would you exactly? Agree? And so I had to I had to put the name creative entrepreneur on there because that's just something that resonated with my spirit. But I but I specifically define what a creative entrepreneur is. In the introduction, and I and I define creative entrepreneur as someone who takes a calculated risk to create something out of nothing and share it with the world. Right. And so those three variables can apply to a tangible business, a product or service, but it can also apply to your life, which is actually like the deeper meaning because like life, I view life as like a business. Mm-hmm. And through that lens of seeing life as a business, I'm a lot more strategic and intentional with it. And it's like, like the inputs of my decisions are going to lead to outputs that are results. And so by applying like business coaching and personal development coaching, life coaching, all into one element, I think it's a lot more understandable and palpable to, to a broad market. So you're definitely right. Uh, it, it is for people who are just not in business, but it's a, really a book for people who are at a personal or professional crossroads in their life. And right. that's the way I wrote it. And, and that's the thing is that I would encourage people, like people listening today, especially parents, that if you really want to prepare your children to go to the next level or to even just be happy in life, this type of book can be really transformative for them and implementing these these little nuggets of wisdom into your everyday conversations with your children and the activities that you pursue as a family can really make a huge difference not in term not only in terms of like family dynamics mm-hmm. and how well your family gets along on a day-to-day basis and I feel like those things can really help bond you but also just as preparation for the future um, what do you think about that Oh, no, completely. Because <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, that when I was in college and high school, I was exposed to real wealth. And when I met people who had those trust funds, but then they also told me that they couldn't get access to that trust fund money until they accomplished certain life goals, mm-hmm. or that they made certain decisions in their life that would be approved by the other trustees that were managing whatever money that they were giving. And like these, these people who come from wealth, they're being programmed at a very young age to think strategically and to know how money works and to learn the language of a business, you know, from birth. Mm-hmm. 
And so by the time that these kids are even getting into high school or college, they're, they're light years, they're light years ahead of you. Because I don't know how much time you have, but there's a brief story that I'd like to drop that just kind of shows you the difference in levels of preparation between people who come from money and people who don't. Yeah. So, um, so my sophomore year of, of college, I, I was playing football and we were at summer camp. And one of the, and the dorm that I was living in was for a, a certain fraternity on campus that was known for where a lot of the rich kids uh, would, would join. And so my roommate, who was also uh, a part of this, uh, part of the football team, was a part of the fr this fraternity, one day was like frantically packing his bags. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Luke, why are you packing your bags? We have a 5 a.m. workout tomorrow. Like, right. where are you going? And he's like, you know, Craig, I'm just getting prepared for a major event to happen uh, later this week. And the guy gets a, gets a text, and he immediately gets up and runs out the room. And so me being curious, like I, I follow Luke down uh, throughout the frat house, and he, and he goes into the boardroom where there's a bunch of other athletes and members of this fraternity in the boardroom. And like they close the door. And so they're in there for a couple of hours. And so we, the day goes by, we go to football practice, you know, we eat dinner and we're all, and then me and Luke are back in the room. And I'm like, Luke, he's like, I'm like, what's going on, man? And he's like, Shh, Craig, you can't tell anybody. But he's like, tomorrow, like we could all be multimillionaires. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, in this, in this little meeting that we had, he's like one, one of the guys in fraternity, his dad's uh, currency trader. And so this was back in, I think, 2010 when like the U.S. was in Iraq. And he's like, yeah, his dad had bought a bunch of Iraqi dinar. And he's like, based upon uh, what happens with, with the war, this, this currency could hit. It could be pegged to the dollar. And they had bought this, uh, like pennies on the dollar, this currency. Right, and he's yeah. like, by tomorrow, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. If this if this hits, but he's like, yesterday a bunch of my friends and other guys in the frat, we all bought you know thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of this currency, and wow. he's like, if it hits tomorrow, I gotta go back to Atlanta and meet with my parents so that we can cash out. So I woke up the next day hoping not to see Luke, but I saw Luke still sitting there, and he was looking very kind of like you know depressed, and he was like, you know, Craig, the the currency didn't hit. And he's like, you know, we, we didn't make any money. We didn't lose any money. But he's like, nothing happened. And so for me, that whole experience was mind-blowing mm -hmm. that somebody, along with a whole group of other kids from wealthy backgrounds, could all organize, get in a boardroom, you know, mm -hmm. take their parents' money, take their money, buy currency, and position themselves to make a ton of money overnight. And that, to me, like, exposed me to, like, how little I knew about money and how, like, finance and wealth worked. Yeah, and that's the thing is that, you know, in my journey, as I was trying to get myself out of my own personal financial troubles, you know, I set out on this journey with my son. I said, okay, you know what? There are people who have what we want. There are people who've come from worse circumstances than we have, and they've managed to do something with their life. Right. And then there's people who are wealthy. They're not any better than we are. Right. So let's figure out what is it that they do? What is it that they know? And let's try to replicate that for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's the journey we went on. And so like, as I'm learning, you know, and I'm still pretty new to this. I will never say that I'm an expert, you know? So right. my, my goal is to like get people who may be experts and, and expose what they know to, to my community. 
mm -hmm. uh, that I'm developing and growing. Um, but that's, I come the everyday person. And mm -hmm. if I can figure it out enough to go get an investment license and learn all these things and then turn around and teach it to my son mm -hmm. as a, as a restaurant, you know, nothing wrong with people who work in a restaurant and choose that for their lifestyle. No. But those are not the people you expect to go and get an investment license. Right. But if I could do it, I just believe that anybody can do it. And that knowledge is out there. And it's just about getting the right information. Like you said, not the misinformation, mm -hmm. and the disinformation, getting that right information, assimilating it into your own life. Right. And then passing that on to your kids. And, and, and when you teach, you learn as well. Yes. So that, you know, is part of my story that I wanted to share with you because I think it relates to a lot of what you're saying is that these kids had this level of knowledge and awareness about money and how to leverage their resources mm -hmm. that were, were probably completely foreign to you. And it's just mind blowing when you allow Completely. yourself to have a different view than what you grow up believing about people and wealth. Oh, I don't feel like me, but like when I was growing up, wealth was like, oh, well, those people, they're only that way because they take advantage of other people. You hear all those stories and at the end of the day, there are cases where that is the case, mm -hmm. but most of the time they just have access to knowledge that not everybody has and they've learned to leverage their information and their mm -hmm. resources and their, and their relationships mm -hmm. to get themselves to another level. Oh, completely. And it's like, you know, going through, going through MBA school, they, they, they tell you this, this, there's a secret formula to success. They call it the, the pie formula. Okay. And so like the P stands for uh, performance, the I stands for image, and the E stands for exposure. So when you combine performance, image, and exposure together, that's going to meter, that's going to shoot you through your career. Well, what I soon figured out is that there's one critical variable in there that will, is like the most determining factor to how much success you'll quote unquote achieve. Mm-hmm. That determining factor is not performance, it's not image, it is exposure. Yeah. And so what I've realized by traveling around the world and having all these experiences is that there are, there are high performers everywhere. There are people with a great image everywhere. Like intelligence is universal. Like there are geniuses and everywhere you go. But if you don't, are not exposed to the right opportunities or to the right people, you may never, quote unquote, achieve a certain level of success. Right. And vice versa. There are people who perform terribly, who have a, a, a horrific image, but because they come from a certain community or they're exposed to certain things, they are, quote unquote, success. And so at the end of the day, like if you're exposed to the right people or to the right information or to the right resources, that is what's going to change the game. And But if you're not you're kind of screwed. So like this, this conversation and exposing people to certain types of information and certain types of mentality and certain types of resources is going to help people further expedite their quote unquote past to success. But um, I, I didn't know that until I actually was in those rooms or in those situations that I wasn't supposed to be in. And then I was exposed. I was like, Oh damn. Like, there's some stuff I need to learn and learn it quickly. If not, I'll be left behind. Yeah, and I just love the fact that you're also on a mission. You know, like you want to impact one million people to to take that path of entrepreneurship. 
Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and a big part of that is the exposure. And I just love that meant that picture of pie and like the most important part of the pie is the exposure. You know, if you want more pie, you need more exposure. <laughs> yes. That, that's, that's all that matters. And unfortunately, just in the, in the system that we live in, it's, it's all about access. And I think that's why, you know, not to take a nefarious term, but that's why a lot of these gatekeepers to this information mm -hmm. really control the access because if more people were aware of it, then their grasp on the power or the wealth yeah. and influence would be diminished. You're so, saying something that's so important to me, um, you know, and I went out and got my investment license and obviously to get an investment license, you have to be associated with um, a firm basically. Mm -hmm. And so for me to go out, come out here and really talk about a lot of stuff, it's not like when you have an investment license, you're not allowed to talk about a lot of things. Interesting. It's the whole gatekeeper thing. <laughs> and so for me, like I had to, I, I really had to think about it. Like obviously for me to build wealth for myself, an investment license is a great asset to have because I can build my wealth that way. And, mm -hmm. you know, people who have an investment license, I mean, they make millions and millions of dollars. Right. But at the end of the day, they have access to information mm -hmm. that everybody deserves to have. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can't talk about it when you have a license, when you're trying to dispel the misconceptions that people have about industries, it's a disservice that you're doing to the world when you're not able to, to talk about those stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's very political. So obviously, I don't want to go down a whole political discussion. Right. But, you know, for me, I had to come to terms with the fact that, you know what, this is not the route in which I want to build my wealth. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to build on the backs of other people. Right. You know, I want to be able to share information. And that's, and that's pretty much why I decided I'm just going to get, you know, not pursue further my investment license. So mm -hmm. some people think I'm crazy. And I'm like, well, well that's the thing. That I don't want to be tied mm -hmm. to only talking about certain things in a certain way and giving the company message, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, because that's yeah. not, you know, it's not mm -hmm. serving the people that I need to serve, who I'm put on this earth to serve. Oh, I, I, I love the way you said that because that what you said resonates with me because I too could be a snake oil salesman. Like I'm, I'm great at sales. I'm very right. persuasive, yes. but I'd rather be an influencer versus a manipulator. Right. And the difference between those two is, is very stark because like we're all what I'm doing is uh, teaching behavioral change, but influencing people has a positive connotation, whereas like manipulating has a negative. And, you know, unfortunately, many people in this world understand that ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is very costly. Mm -hmm. And so if I know something that you don't know, that puts me in a position of power that I can leverage either for a positive gain or a negative gain. And like you, I am conscious of that. And I, I cannot sleep at night knowing that I made money by hurting somebody or by setting them up for failure. And I just believe that by living good and doing good, you know, what comes back to me is going to come back tenfold. Yeah. But that's just something that that's just within like my ethos and my soul. But um, yeah, ignor ignorance is just very costly. And like, I believe that's the most profitable industry in the world is just knowing yeah. stuff that people don't know. Yeah, definitely. So, 
Yeah, so I, I just love the mission that you're on. I feel like you and I are really aligned in a lot of ways in terms of uh, the type of people that we're trying to serve and the kind of impact we're trying to have on the world. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, like, what are some last parting words of advice you would give to parents um, based on your own personal experience in terms of either personal wealth development mm -hmm. or entrepreneurship or really anything that's really speaking to your, your soul right now? Um, I would say for like your uh, advice to parents, I would say don't let your kids commit the same mistakes you made. Mm -hmm. um, B, don't be afraid of your kids doing better than you. Um, because I think that, like you said, we all stand on the shoulders of giants and those giants are like our ancestors. And like when my mom tells me, she's like, Craig, I want you to do better than I did. That just, you know, kind of like makes me feel some type of way. Right. And I know that I, I want my kids to do better than I'm doing. I don't want my, my kids to face the problems I had. I don't want them to, you know, have to fight against, you know, racism and not being able to get a job and, you know, having the, uh, you know, go against these certain roadblocks. It's like, no, create your own business, you know, pay yourself, you know, yeah. make this world a better place. You know, I want them to do better than me. Um, you know, and I, I would say kind of like my, my last piece of advice for parents is, is just to know that like what worked for you most likely won't work for your kids. And that's just because like the, the times are changing so much i mean i know the way you grew up is not even in comparison to the way like like your, your kids growing up and so just just letting them know that like what i did may work for you but it also may not work for you and just you know always be supportive of them no matter what decisions that they that they make and uh you know just correct them whenever they're off path i think it's really simple as that that's amazing. So can you uh, tell our audience right now, like where is the best way to reach out to you if they want to further the conversation um, and definitely where to go and get your book? Yes. Yeah, so the book is on Amazon and available on bookstores as well. People can follow me on Instagram at Creative Craig and you spell that C-R-E-8-I-V-E-C-R-A-I-G. And you can also find me at my website creativecraig.com and I, I'd love to you know, communicate with everybody and you know just help people you know, become the entrepreneurs of their life. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that information, Craig. Honestly, people, like, check out Craig. He is a very genuine person. He is on a mission to really impact the world and he's proven that with his service he did in the Peace Corps and what he's doing now. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out for my son and you know, I'm still at the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, so I'm definitely going to get the book. Um, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on our show today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you got anything positive out of the conversation, do you mind leaving us a five-star review on iTunes? Doing so will allow other parents to help their teens create a life of fulfillment and joy, abundance and impact. Until next time, don't forget to help your teens skip the lunch line and live life on their own terms.